0: Welcome to Flowcast. I'm Sister Marceline Cook, and I'll be your host for a conversation about a topic we Dominican Sisters have been studying and talking about recently the growing practice of land acknowledgement. The gospel call is to be in right relationship, and that includes right relationship with the land and the people who cared for it long before we were here. Maybe you've attended a meeting or an event during which the organizers speak of the native peoples who previously lived on and cared for the land, where the event is taking place. That's a land acknowledgement. However, the more we Dominican Sisters have begun to study the practice, the more we have begun to see that land acknowledgement is really only a starting point for a deeper conversation about the history of the encounter between Europeans and the First Nations of North America, and the impact that history has on Native Americans today. Today's Flowcast guest, Cinnamon Catlin Leguto and Heather Miller are here to help guide and deepen this conversation. Welcome to you both. Cinnamon is the director of the Illinois State Museum Heather is an enrolled member of the Wyandotte Nation and the museum's first-ever director of tribal relations. Cinnamon, share about coming to the Illinois State Museum and your role here.
1: It's great to be with you this morning, and I'm always happy to talk about the Illinois State Museum. Um, You know, this is my fourth uh, leadership position, and I arrived in September of 2019, about six months right before the pandemic hit. So I was just getting my feet wet with uh, state government and all the processes. But what attracted me to the Illinois State Museum was this statewide story. You know, I'm really interested in state identity and and how we tell our stories, and the Illinois State Museum had a lot to lot, has a lot of work to do around indigenous narratives, building tribal relationships, responding to requests, and um, working collaboratively. There was a lot of work to do, and. I wanted to be part of that. I really wanted to change how the Illinois State Museum works with tribal communities. There's a whole list of other things I wanted to do, but that's the most relevant for today's conversation. And everyone maybe listening, maybe not, may recall that the Illinois State Museum was shut down in 2015. So I'm the first permanent director since that shutdown, and I've had a lot of rebuilding to do. So, also thinking strategically about the staff we need to bring in has been an early discussion that's been throughout the three years I've been there. And early on, I hoped for a director of tribal relations. Uh, so it's it's an honor to have Heather on our team now. She joined us in August, and it's really going to her presence is going to move forward our work with tribal communities, which numbers well over 32 um, who consider Illinois their homeland.
0: Well, thank you. And Heather, that led right into you telling us about your position and your work here. I know we'll expand on it, but maybe you can briefly tell us what you are about.
2: Sure. Tijame, everyone. I just want to take a minute and start off in in my language and uh, just introduce myself from that perspective. So, Hue Amatero, Heather Miller, Ijatsi, Winedat Ajatute. So in English what I just said is uh, hello everyone my name is Heather Miller I am Wyndotte and currently I am living in between Chicago and Springfield soon to be a very permanent resident here in Springfield. I am really excited to be in this position and to be bringing these new relationships and new way of working into the Illinois State Museum. As Cinnamon said, this is something that has not really been a very strong part of the work that the museum has done, but it is a very needed piece. As we all know, this land has always been and currently still is Indian land. And so when we talk about what a land acknowledgement is and why it's important for me to even have this position within the museum, it's actually bringing recognition and acknowledgement and an understanding of that Native history, of that Native perspective and making sure that that's represented in the decisions and the way that
0: our work is done moving forward. So you spoke of land acknowledgement in your work Can you talk about land acknowledgement a little more for groups that maybe want to begin that practice? My understanding is it's always been a practice of of Native peoples, but it is now becoming a practice of non-Native peoples trying to recognize that. So can you say more about that? And I think I've learned that there are some caveats in doing it as well. Yeah, I think I want to start a little bit... um... A
2: little bit more with uh, maybe why we do land acknowledgments and why they're important. I think that I briefly touched on this, but I, I want to return back to back to this idea. As as a native person and as someone that has a connection to my tribal community, one of the things that really defines who I am and sits me as a native person is that I have this relationship with, with the land, specifically with what we now know as the United States of America. I say that because for me as a Wyandotte person, um, my language is very much place-based. So as I learn my language, I learn things about how this land influenced the way that I talk. The way that I think in, in Dot. And that's not only true for myself, but it's fairly true for other Native people. Within our languages, we have a very place-based relationship. Our language mirrors the places that we called home, uh, you know, historically and still to this day. It represents that relationship that we maintained as Native people with the uh, animal relatives, with our air and water relatives. And it recognized that us as human beings had a part and we continue to have a part in how we interact with one another, whether that be a plant, whether that be another human being, whether that be the water. It, se- it told us that we have relationships. And so when we met other people who came to this land seeking things, they didn't understand that uh, relationship that we had with the land. And that became a piece where it things got complicated. So in order to take over this land, to remove Native people from this land, they had to sever our land-based relationship. They had to sever our connection. They had to sever our ties to these places. That's why we get the situation that we're currently in today here in Illinois without having any federally recognized tribal nations, you know, calling this this place home. We had to be removed. We had to get separated from our connection and from the things that tie us all together. So when, when we start talking about um, why this is important to me in particular, it's important because I want to find a way to help us all remember the various connections that, as we spoke about earlier, these 32 nations have with Illinois and bring those perspectives around how we're all involved with this land back to all of our learning and all of our perspectives.
0: Thank you for that sharing and connecting it to relationship. That's always an important piece. When I was asking about land acknowledgement and mentioned something about caveats, I've read from some of the native peoples that it has to be more than just a token activity. I'm doing this so that I'm good and I'm, I'm knowledgeable about this. So, can you speak just briefly to how we can make it real for us that it doesn't become token?
2: Sure, I'll start. And then I'd love for Cinnamon to also share some pieces because it is is about relationships. And I I think that the work that we do together is truly in relationship and models what we're talking about here. So I want to bring this again back to why this is important. And so I want us to, again, recognize that there's a process of colonization that we have to acknowledge and we have to recognize. When Native people were were removed from their land, it was because of colonization. It was a process of systematic genocide and killing and taking of Native people and removing them from their land in order for other people to come in and have access to these resources. So there's an element that of, or there's an element of this work that means that not only do we have to acknowledge that, but we have to figure out a way to uh, kind of repair these relationships. So acknowledge and repair. And that's what we're talking about when we say that there are caveats to these land acknowledgments. It's one thing to recognize the tribes that own this or that uh, call this area home and continue to call this land home. But then there's also a a token or an element of our own selves recognizing the piece that we play within the colonial system. And so recognizing that and understanding that we want to do better, we want to change our relationship to that colonial system is where that action comes in. That's where those caveats come in that you're talking about. And so, you know, having cinnamon in this museum and bringing me on in this position is a form of allyship and understanding that role. And so I want to turn it over to her to also talk a little bit about what allyship means from her perspective and how other folks can turn that land acknowledgement into a better uh, allyship piece. Thanks, Heather. I'm happy to talk about allyship. Uh, You know, and I strive
1: to be an accomplice. I try to take it even further, right? Like, what can we do? to dismantle systems of harm? What can we do to rethink, in my setting, particularly, museum work? You know, museums have been really harmful spaces for indigenous people. And there's a lot of good reading about that, especially the writings of uh, Dr. Amy Lone Tree. She has this amazing book called Decolonizing Museums that really lays out for you what museums have done to indigenous people. Um, Not only have uh, museums, conscripted narratives and stories, um, they've taken the bodies of Indigenous people and they've put them in collection storage. And it's incredibly harmful um, to Indigenous um, communities, to identities, to, (laughs) there's just such a long list of things that, that uh, that, that generates harm when it comes to that kind of um, colonization in the museum space. And so my work has always been about action just to build off of what Heather said is like, what actions can we take? What's the practical way to approach this that can reverse this harmful pattern? I'm not interested in being in the harm game. (laughs) That's what I call it. Um, in my previous institution, um, I was for 10 years, the president and CEO of the Abbey museum in Bar Harbor, Maine. And their mission is solely focused around indigenous people, the Wabanaki people of Maine, um, Uh, New England, New Brunswick, and the Maritimes, so up into Canada even. And in 2012, the organization made the commitment to really understand decolonization, like how to undo this colonial um, framework and rethink museum practice. And it was a tremendous experience from 2012 to 2019. Being part of that rethinking of systems. And by the time I left, um, the museum's board was primarily indigenous. You know, staff were growing um, in terms of more indigenous people. Um, it always changes because it's a very seasonal place and there's a lot of fluctuations. But overall, there's a real strong commitment to rethink museum practice. And those kinds of actions is what we're talking about. And at the Abbey in particular, we didn't even talk about land acknowledgements until, gosh, I want to say it was like 2017, 2018. So we were four or five years already into our action-oriented work before we sat down and said, huh, we're not doing land acknowledgements and everybody else is. What does that mean? And um, at the Abbey, we had a standing Native Advisory Council, which is something we're working on for the ISM. And there, the conversation with them was so fascinating because the the first question when I posed it, you know, should we have a land acknowledgement? The first response was, well, are you going to give the land back? Well, I need to know more. It was usually my response when I get a question back like that. So Native Advisory Council at the Abbey took time to think about it and came back the next month and said, yes, actually, let's do one. But Native Advisory Council was going to write it and it took the life of exactly what heather said that it it talks about the action it talks about reparations it talks about the harm and it's incredibly powerful um, to read it and you can i believe it's still on the website abbeymuseum.org you can see the land acknowledgement and it's integrated throughout the museum it said um, there's protocols around when you read it Um, it's a very serious statement and same goes with the ism you know we don't have a ton of action in place yet, but we have growing action. And our um, diversity inclusion committee is what we have at the ISM, a few months back said, you know, I think it's time to start talking about a land acknowledgement. We've got a lot of action in place. And what was interesting is we wrote this land acknowledgement and then we did some consultation with tribal folks and they said, "Mm mm-mm. Nope, you need to slow down. You need to write a land acknowledgement that's very specific to every part of Illinois, not just one statement for Illinois. You need to follow exactly like what Heather was saying is that response to the land. That's the protocol. And we had to hit pause and say, okay, that's gonna take a lot more work than we realized and we don't have the skill sets around all of that yet. So we are anxious to come back to writing a land acknowledgement for the ISM and there'll be some versions of it as we develop it. But that kind of counsel is an example of the relationships we're building and the work that needs to go into this and the and the action that we're talking about before a land acknowledgement is needed. So that, you know, is a very long answer to what allyship looks like, right? Is really listening in learning and responding as we need to when we're in consultation with tribal folks.
0: So in your response, you talked about decolonizing museums and your work there. And also that um, I think of that because I listened to your TED Talk or I I viewed your TED Talk on decolonizing museums. And it was the first time I had heard that expression together. Also, you you said you were an accomplice, not just an ally. It reminds me of our anti-racism work, that we are to be accomplices with each other in uh, dismantling racism. And what you're speaking about is a part of racism as well, for sure. You mentioned about 32, I think you said 32 nations in Illinois. Can we talk about the state of Illinois and the tribes that are here or that were here. Heather, you said that we have the the removal was complete. There are no federally recognized tribes. But we do know historically nations were here, and we've tried to learn about that. So can you speak to those? Who are we talking about when we speak of those uh, historical tribes? And is it tribes or nations or is the language interchangeable? That might be helpful too. Those are some really great questions. And let's start briefly on the topic
2: of language so in just in today's conversation I know that I've used several terms and I tend to use these terms interchangeably that's that's something that I do just because of how I have changed and grown over uh, the course of my lifetime in terms of understanding our own identity and, and what that means so I've used things like Indian Native and Native American all today just to talk about my identity uh, for me those are all appropriate terms. I use them interchangeably. I tend to favor the word native, and that is typically a term that I would suggest that other folks use when describing uh, native people. That's the term that most folks do tend to uh, use these days and, and seems appropriate. However, the way that most native people want to be addressed is actually Via their individual nation. So when I introduced myself, I said that I'm a member of the Wyandotte Nation. That's who I am. That's where I come from. That's the that's the group of people that I claim, and they claim me right back. That's that's that relationship piece. That's what it means to be a native person. We've got that two way relationship going on. So ideally, we like to be identified within our own nation system. I keep using the word nation, and I can sometimes use those, the word tribe and nation uh, interchangeably. However, there are important pieces to to distinguish between those two words. So within the word nation, uh, we also bring into into being the, con, the uh, political identity. And this is important when talking about native people, because we're not only a race of people, um, we are also a political identity. And part of the reason for that is because within the U.S. structure, our Native nations, our groups of who we are, made political documents, treaties with the U.S. government. So we have a political relationship as defined by the Constitution as Native people with the United States government. We're the only group of people that has that. And so that that is what sets us apart. That's what makes us unique on so many levels, because we have a politically defined relationship based on a treaty relationship status. And so that's what that's very important as as we talk about native people and so many people don't have a good handle and understanding of this concept but it is it's critical to understanding who we are within within our nation system we are organized as tribes oftentimes that is that is another way to identify who we are as groups of individual people, um, with identities. Sometimes our tribes are federally recognized. Sometimes those tribes are state recognized. Sometimes those tribes have no recognition whatsoever. However, the definition or the difference between the nation status is that we have a federal recognition status within the U S government. So that's really the big difference, uh, within those two words. But again, you can use those words to describe, uh, people in a variety of different levels just because of the
0: different uh, definitions between those two words thank you that's very helpful so looking at the tribes in Illinois or the nations or the tribes that used to be here some of them I some of them our listeners will know if they're from Illinois because of cities named after tribes so. And again, we talked a little bit about that connection to the land as Native people.
2: And so that is representative of the land today. It still reflects the Native nations that called this area home. So what I'm I spend time in Chicago, and I know the Chicago story really well, and we know that in that particular area, one of the terms that we often hear and we talk a lot about are the Council of the Three Fires as having uh, some connection to this land. The nations that consisted of the Council of the Three Fires were the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi Nations, and we can look at... Those nations and we can define them further because there are several different bands of Potawatomi that also still have claim and still have ownership to this land and still are working with us as we figure out the right way to be in relationship with them. So those are some groups of of Native nations that you'll often hear when we talk about who has connection to this land and who who would call Illinois home. Those are some groups. We also know that we have some really strong relationships with the Peoria nations, with the Osage nations. Cinnamon, please feel free to jump in and add some more.
1: Sure. We have multiple bands of the Potawatomi. I'm not sure if you said that yet, Forest
0: Is Kaskaskia um, also part of it? Mm-hmm. Kickapoo. Miami. You know, Sack and, and Fox. Sack and Fox. Those are some of the names that I recognize from our work and others may recognize too. So when we think about Illinois, one of the important pieces to
2: remember is that Illinois was a place where Multiple communities, multiple tribal nations were calling home. It was they were calling this area theirs. We knew that, or our ancestors knew that this place was a sacred place. Uh, we use this land for medicine. We use this land to come meet people. We use this plant land to play games such as uh, the Creators Game, also known as lacrosse. It was, it was here for a variety of different activities, resources, and just a spot where everybody came to. So understanding how important this area was to a variety of different people, we have to kind of rethink our thinking around ownership or who has entitlement or rights to this land. It was a place for a lot of different tribal nations to engage with, to call home. And so that should also, in our thinking today, remember this really important connection to the land. And if this place is still that, that important place. It is still a place of sacredness, of beauty, of medicine, of revitalization, of community, of connection. This is what that land has always been and will always continue to be. And so as all, all people who live here today should also be thinking about how they make those relationships and connections.
0: Cinnamon, I know that in Illinois, we have Dixon Mounds and Cahokie Mounds. And Heather mentioned The mound people and how and where they bury their dead. So does the Illinois State Museum have control over those areas or are you linked together in some way? How is that connected in the work that you're doing?
1: So the Illinois State Museum um, right now has Dixon Mounds Museum as part of its system. There are four facilities. Um, There used to be more before the 2015 shutdown, but now today we have the museum in downtown Springfield, we have a collection center in Springfield, and then we have Dixon Mounds that we operate in Lewistown as well as Lockport Gallery, um, just outside of Chicagoland up north. Dixon Mounds um, is incredibly sacred in that it is a burial site. And um, we have active consultation going on now with tribal groups to determine its future and how we can better um, respond to tribal concerns, interests, and um, begin to make reparations. That's my hope is that we can get on that path. It's, It's still early days, but we're on our way. Um, In regard to Cahokia and other mound sites, there's quite a few that are part of state property. Some are on our inventory at the ISM, but we don't interpret them. But Cahokia is very well known and it's part of the Office of Land Management right now, which is part of our agency. So the ISM is part of the Department of Natural Resources. So there's a vertical in the agency that's the ISM, and there's a vertical that's the Office of Land Management. So historic sites are presently with land management, and that's where Cahokia is now. And we are working to be more collaborative and have um, recently visited. Heather was down there um, talking through ways that we can work together. So um, we're hopeful about the future and more collaboration. And there's other mound sites that we would love to protect that aren't currently part of the state inventory. And so those conversations are starting to bubble up and you know, how else can we take care in the state of Illinois?
0: That's very helpful. In reading Heather about your work, I read about the Native American Graves Protections and Reparations Act. That seems to be a big part of all of this. Maybe can you just share with folks what that is about? Because it connects, I think, to just what Cinnamon was saying, too.
2: Absolutely. So uh, the Native American Graves uh, Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA in my world, as I call it every day, uh, is is a piece of legislation that was originally crafted in 1990. So it's, it's now a couple decades old. And it came because uh, Native folks were really concerned over the fact that our ancestors were being housed in museum collections. Our ancestors' bodies, our ancestors' bones, our ancestors' objects. So the things that were taken from their grave sites uh, by collectors, by archaeologists, by scientists, and, you know, housed in museums. And our Native community members said, we're tired of this. We don't want this happening anymore. We want our relatives to be uh, put to rest respectfully. We want their items to be put to bed respectfully, to rest respectfully, and we need those changes to happen within uh, museum settings. So that's that's really the impetus for why NAGPRA exists. Uh, we've already talked about the fact that several of our institutions, you know, have, have made these mistakes in the past and now it's time to build better relationships. So that's, that's what we're doing at the ISM. When we say that we uh, are engaging in relationships with those 32 tribal nations, it's because we've recognized the fact that we have their relatives, we've got their ancestors sitting on our shelves, and it's time to make sure that they're taken care of in the right way. That is that is the most respectful, most appropriate, and thing that needs to happen at this point. So we're doing the work to make sure that that is taken care of and done from a uh, completely a tribal perspective, making sure that our tribal communities have say and
0: direct the work that we're doing to take care of their relatives. Thank you very much, both of you. I'm hearing a lot about relationship, both to the land, but also to the people, and to be respectful of who people are and affirming worth and dignity. And I just so appreciate learning about your work at the Illinois State Museum and how we can connect with that, even just doing a very simple land acknowledgement and moving forward with our own study. So on behalf of the Dominican Sisters and the Flowcast team, thank you, Cinnamon and Heather, for sharing your expertise and passion with us today. It was very evident.
1: Well, thank you so much for having us on your program. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And I want to invite all listeners to visit the Illinois State Museum. Uh, Like I said, we have four locations. Uh, Three of those are open to the public and all three are free. So just check our website, illinoisstatemuseum.org for details. And we have programs all the time that are just delightful for all ages. So I hope to see you very soon at the Illinois State Museum.
2: And. Tijame, in my language, that is thank you so much for this time. It was a pleasure to be with you all and to share a little bit more about my perspective, my community, and the work that we're doing at the ISM. I especially encourage folks to come visit us and come check us out after January when we will have a new uh, Indigenous Illinois exhibit up and folks can learn even more about all those communities that we talk to talked about, uh, during our time together today. So Tijame again, thank you all.
0: Many of the resources we discussed today are available in the show notes at flowcastlisten.org. Flowcast is a production of the Dominican Sisters of Springfield. We share the stories of people changing lives in hopeful ways for the life of the world. A big thanks to the Flowcast team engineer and editor Brandon Durham, marketing guru Jean Ann Miller, and Flowcast producer Sister Beth Murphy. I'm your Flowcast guest host, Sister Marceline Cook. On this Thanksgiving holiday, we give thanks to those who came before us and cared for the land that we enjoy today.